The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Uh, Revelation chapter 22. Um, now we're nearing the end of our, our series, God is Great, and in this series, we've covered many mountaintops in the scriptures, haven't we, church? You know, the, these as we've been searching through uh, the various uh, places in our Bible in search of the greatness of God, we started in creation, we went through the pits of sin, we saw some of the promises of God and His kingdom, and then the glories of our salvation and this life of following Christ there in our New Testament. And stop after stop, as we've been seeking God, uh, we've found joy, and we've had reason to say, like in Psalm 70, Verse 4, over and over, God is great. God is great. And now we come to the last page of God's written revelation to us. And Revelation is one of those books that causes a stir, doesn't it? Maybe a stir in your own heart. Maybe a stir as, we, as people start to be getting it. Some, some make a massive deal of it, right? Just like camp in it and listen to podcasts, read all kinds of books, and are just uh, consumed with revelation or eschatology and things of the end times. And then there's like another side of, uh, of, of us that just like ignore it altogether. Just like this way too confusing. There's some strange things in there. I don't know what to make of this. It's better just to kind of like ignore it. You find yourself in either one of these? But I think where we are here, we can't just make too much of it or overemphasize one book or one part of theology, nor can we ignore it because revelation is indeed a part of God's word to us. And it's important for us to know who and who wrote it and to who it was written and why it was written. It's written by a disciple named John who became an apostle. He wrote the gospel of John. He was the one whom Jesus loved. He wrote those epistles. And now he is on an island exile because he loves Jesus. That sounds kind of, actually, it's like you're in exile, you're perse being persecuted, and he's on like a Mediterranean island. Um, it actually sounds quite nice, doesn't it? He's writing later in uh, probably around 95 AD at a time when Christians are in mass being persecuted for following Christ, for not bowing the knee to Caesar. And so he, uh, he, he writes this book as a comfort to these Christians who are being brutalized for their faith. It's important for us to understand like what he is writing about is meant to be a comfort and he's writing it in such a way like a graphic novel where he is using uh, 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 pictures to communicate the truth in which he is uh, seeing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now in the scriptures we have many genres, don't we? Some are like history books, others are like poetry, Revelation, which is much like a graphic novel. And John is seeing and he is explaining to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit a future and events really that he has no personal or physical context for. For there are things way in the future. And as God gives him this vision, just imagine like how you know, like the circuits of his mind are being fried because of all of this. You know, just think of like uh, uh, older folks today, like when I was uh, speaking with my grandparents, um, when, uh, you know, like FaceTime and video chatting first became a thing. My grandparents were born in the earlier uh, part of the 1900s, you know, before telephones really became like a, you know, were readily available and all that. And to think of like when they were a kid to explain, like, yeah, you'd be able to talk to your great grandkids and all that on a video screen and see them halfway around the world. 
It's just mind-blowing. There's like no concept for that. And now put yourselves in John's shoes as he's being given these insights into a future which he has no context for. And though the difference in genres, though there's difference in a way of communicating the truth and the hope and the help of the gospel, there is really still one message that we find here. God is great. He's great to the end. His greatness is never ending. And what we'll see here, his greatness is coming soon. And so before we read Revelation 22 here, uh, I want to again give just some kind of uh, ingredients for a proper understanding of really our Bibles, but specifically of Revelation or when we are studying the end times here. See, when you get to a passage like John, you really need three ingredients. You need humility, hermeneutics, and the Holy Spirit. Humility, hermeneutics, and the Holy Spirit. As we come to God's Word, this is how we gain understanding, with a humble heart. Anyone who comes to the Scripture with an arrogant or a skeptical heart will find only what you're looking for. As we come humbly before the Lord, we will find what God has to say to us. Especially when it comes to end times and the things of like Christ's return here. I'm always humbled as I read through the Gospels, as I read through the, uh, the, the events of Jesus' first coming. And in those days, there are the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Zealots and all these groups here that had their theories, had their convictions about how the Messiah would come. He came in the flesh right before them and they all missed it. So it is not wrong to have our convictions and our theology and our understanding, our interpretations of the word of God and how he will come again. But let us be humble, humble in our convictions and good stewards of the word with proper hermeneutics. Hermeneutics are just a big word for the right principles for understanding God's word. It is a book. It is, uh, it is literature. And so as such, we need to treat it appropriately in our, and, and employ a hermeneutic that is uh, literal and grammatical and historical that is true to the text lest we uh, make it say something uh, that we don't understand. If you're wondering, well, like, what are those things? Email me and I can send you some uh, helpful resources to that end. But beyond our humble heart and our good human hermeneutics in our mind, we need the Holy Spirit, don't we? The Spirit in us that uh, convicts us and guides us and teaches us, especially when we come to God's Word. So how about we pray and ask His help, and then I'll read it for us. Can we do that? Pray with me now. God in heaven, here we are before your word, asking that you, by your spirit, would give us uh, eyes to see, ears that hear, and hearts that are able to uh, comprehend what you have for us in this passage. God, thank you that you do that. You've revealed yourself to us, that we can come expectantly, even now, uh, to understand. Help us now, God, by your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Join me now in Revelation 22, verse 1. I'm going to read it for us. God, help us to see his greatness. Follow along in your copy. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. 
He said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. is near. The evildoers still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they uh, may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. This is God's word for God's people. Church, here's the bottom line of Revelation 22. The final kind of takeaway, the final uh, message that the Bible leaves for us is this, that God's greatness is coming soon. Both the title and the bottom line of this message here, of this last chapter, God's greatness is coming soon. In all his greatness and his incomparable nature, it is coming Sooner than we think. Now, the first five verses are a continuation. What I just read are a continuation of, chapter, of, of uh, the teaching in chapter 22 of the new Jerusalem. That is in the new heavens, in the new earth. And we're kind of plopped into the middle of it here in this eternal state. After the world as we know it comes to an end. All that we see here, what we are living in. Now we are given a glimpse, just a glimpse in these verses of what life will be like here. It is after a time of the tribulation where the church age is no more, where God pours out his judgment on the earth as described there in chapters 6 through 19. All the justice, all the things that we long for even now will find their judgment then. It's after the time of the millennial reign of Christ where he comes and reigns on David's throne. Culminates in the final defeat of Satan and the great white throne judgment there in Revelation chapter 20. So in 21 and 22, then they describe this paradise regained of what was lost there from Eden. If you want to go deeper in your understanding of these things, take some time this afternoon or this week to read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. 
and then read these and read Revelation 21 and 22 and see the bookends of our Bible and how uh, God is uh, restoring what was lost. But the emphasis here then in chapter 22, as our Bible comes to a close, God's written revelation is that all of this is coming soon. It could happen at any moment. It's what uh, scholars call it is imminent. And you may ask, like, well, soon, uh, how soon? And the answer to that is yes. That, that's, it's soon to the Lord. It's soon, soon to him is very different than us. Recently, someone texted me because they were late for uh, uh, something that we were doing, a timeline. That they texted me, I'll be there super soon. It's like, well, how soon is super soon? Is that sooner than soon or super soon? Or what, what are we talking about? See, when it comes to the Lord's return, attempts to calculate it are really futile to try to chart it out or to determine, okay, it could happen tomorrow at any point. Instead, as we think about his coming, it should lead us then to live differently. In the, in the, when we think of Christ's coming and the imminence of it, it is not uh, meant to make us calculate the timing of it, but what we should do until he arrives. What should the manner of our life be while we wait? That's what the text then teaches us here as we look closer at it. See, God's coming greatness produces then in us in these first five verses, or at least it should, an eager expectation. If you're taking notes, write this down. God's coming greatness produces in us, not attempts to uh, determine the timing of it, but an expectation for it. I come back to the text here now in that first section here. It's pretty awesome to think about what is happening here, right? Even as it's just really in our sanctified speculation about the details of it here, it's good for us to understand the angel that we're introduced here is no stranger. If you were reading through Revelation, this angel is like John's tour guide. He's the one who's been his host, and it is God's messenger taking him through the events and explaining to him what he is in the New Jerusalem, and they plop right into the middle of the city where this crystal clear river is flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Different than the throne of David here, but the throne of God and the Lamb. And it's bright as crystal. You've ever seen a crystal clear river? There's several or sections of them. Here is the limestone bottoms, the beauty of it. And yet this is incomparable. It's the river of life. Could be waterless. Maybe it is literally has water in it. But the emphasis here is that from it is flowing this eternal life. That is the source of all things. The tree of life. Again, here that was seen in, the, in Eden that is producing continuously. Do you see it here? It's, flowing. it's on either side of the river. The river is flowing it, and it has 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Some of you might be more in tune with biology or horticulture, but do trees, do they bear fruit all year round? Trees in your yard? No, there's dormant seasons, and there's growing seasons, and there's like harvest seasons and all that. And yet here is this tree that is ever producing. And what does its leaves accomplish? It's the health or literally the therapy for all people, the nations. And so what are we meant to pull from this? It's that God is the source of all physical and spiritual life. Around, he is the sustainer and provider of all that we need. All of life revolves around him, everything. And really in verse 3 and 4 and 5 is the best part. Not only is what we have from him uh, uh, provided by him, everything that we need. Now look at, no more curse. 
The corruption that entered into the world at Genesis 3 that has ruined everything that we love, that has left its mark and tainted all of our relationships, all of our motives, all of our actions, all of our hopes is now gone. To give an amen to that, right? Like this is what we long for, sin's presence now finally removed. At the cross, in our justification, the penalty for sin removed. In our sanctification, the power of sin over us removed. And now here, fully and freely and forever, sin's presence, gone. Gone, gone. Why? Because we are now in the presence of God. Look what, look what, uh, look what it says. We're at the throne of the God and the Lamb. We're there as servants, worshiping Him. And what are we doing in verse 4? Well, let me back up here. What are we doing now? Like, what is, the, what is the ambition and the pursuit of our life here and now? We are seeking his face, aren't we? The whole, like, theme passage for this series here, let those who seek him rejoice and be glad in him. Psalm 105, verse 4, uh, uh, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his presence or his face, Continually, over and over. What did Moses ask for? And in Exodus 33, he's like, God, we, I want to see you. And God's like, you can't see me. I'll let my, let my backside pass before you. And we live a life of seeking. And guess what? When we're here, we finally found it to where we see him. We see his face. This is what we long for. Your deepest satisfaction, everything that you live your life, where there is the whole now satisfied in the Lord, seeing his face, his name on our foreheads. Now this here name on us, just, we get distracted about this kind of stuff, don't we? You know, like with Mark of the Beast and what's that and is this it and all this and we're going to have like these tattoos on us. Hey, like however this is going to play out, I don't know. We're going to find out together. But here's the thing that we need to know. that You belong to him. That's what this is speaking of. We now, because of Christ, have this access to the Father to see him. In the same way that you guys write your name on your tools because they belong to you, or you write your kids' names on their clothes because they belong to you, we will belong to the Lord and have the right to be there. Not because of anything that we've done, but because he brought us all of our therapy, all of what we need, all of our sustenance, all the light, the darkness is gone. No more afraid of the dark, no more afraid of what happens in the dark, both literally and metaphorically. There's no need for it. Why? Because the Lord will be there and we will be reigning with him as these, uh, you know, these servant rulers, these slave rulers. It's paradise regained. It's back to what Adam and Eve had there before the curse, back to this original design to rule and reign over God's creation. And here's the thing, church, to imagine this. As we come to the end and as we think through these things and how it will all happen, to imagine this should create in us an eager expectation for it. An eager expectation for it. Maybe you have like a vacation or a trip that you have planned for this year an adventure that you can't wait to go on. And you've read some of the descriptions about what you're to go on. You've seen some photos online and you've heard from some others about what it is. But here's the thing. As you read the description of heaven, 
to get this picture here, this is far greater than any adventure you may have on your calendar this year. It's far greater. And the best thing is it's coming soon. How soon? Super soon. And you know what? Sadly, I think that as we come to the end, as we think about these things, we react very differently. We react, react fearfully. Fear of the unknown. Well, this stuff sounds scary. There's like dragons and other things that we read about and others, and we just, we don't know. We act in, in fear. We try to take control, and we, we have to chart everything out. We have to get a plan, and we have to know, like, okay, I'm going here. Well, it's going to happen like this, 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 and it's going to look like this, and this is who's going to be there. And, and, and because of this, like, desire for control or the fear of the unknown, we have to do all this. And let me just like, caution you against that. Beware of those like so-called eschatology experts who find themselves online that have everything filled out, or figured out and see fulfillment in every headline. Be careful, church, be careful of that stuff. Fear, this control, or maybe you're just ambivalence about it. Like, well, you know what? That sounds cool, but it can wait. I got, this life is pretty good here. I got some stuff I want to do here, some people I want to meet, places I want to see. Church, this is not an eager expectation for what is coming soon and the greatness of God yet to be revealed. And actually, the New Testament really helps, uh, instructs us on what are these expectant uh, uh, reactions, if you will, to the end times. And I love how like, the Bible does this. If you're just going to uh, trace in your New Testament the little glimpses that we get, we kind of get like uh, some snippets of teaching from Paul and Peter and Jesus himself. And after that, he'll give like a little bit of teaching, and then often there's this therefore after it, okay? And, what it, and when we see it, therefore, as good Bible students, what do we ask? Well, what is therefore? Therefore, and it teaches us what we then to do. And so he'll teach on the, this is what's to come. Therefore, encourage one another. Not be fearful, not chart all this out, not, you know, not uh, be ambivalent about it, but he teaches us how to expectantly uh, react when we think about or study or learn about the end times. And here, I put them on the screen for you. I found nine of them. Maybe you can find some more here. You can take a picture of it, try to write it down here. But when we think of the end times, here's what the Bible teaches us to do. It is to encourage us, just like I said. That's what John is even doing in Revelation. He is writing to encourage these persecuted Christians. Paul does that as he writes to the Thessalonians there. teaches on uh, uh, the Lord's second coming in chapter 4. He says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Then he teaches a little bit more in chapter 5, and he goes on, he says, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. When you think about the end, these are meant to build us up, to give us hope, to give us strength that we need. It's also to give us hope. Paul teaches uh, Titus there and the, uh, the believers there, he says, we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's many reasons to be hopeless in this world. We are failed over and over. Things break, things fade, things don't go the way that we plan. And yet in Christ, we have this blessed or happy hope, which we can rejoice. It also gives us peace. Peter goes there. He says, beloved, uh, therefore, since you are waiting for these, he describes some uh, things that are to happen in the end. He says, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Peace with God and peace in our life. Think about the end. It gives us this peace and it gives us comfort as well. Jesus, as he's teaching his disciples, he's saying, hey, guys, I, I have to go. Be crucified. I have to go. But guess what? I'm coming back. 
He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? I'm not a liar, am I? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. As we think of the end, it gives us great comfort, but it also motivates us in several ways. It motivates us to fight against sin. And in 1 John, John, who's writing Revelation, he writes to them, he says, and everyone who thus hopes in him, who's teaching, he says, purifies himself as he is pure. There is no place for like, okay, well, God's coming soon. He's going to do all that. I'm saved now. I can live however I want while I wait. Nope. We're to live and pursue this purity of life, this righteousness following Christ as we wait. We're to be self-controlled. Peter says this, the end of all things is at hand. What does that sound like? God's greatness is coming soon, right? It's at hand. It is near. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. He says, no, this should give us self-control, not to live a, a wild life, but to say no to sin. And not just that, but then to work hard for Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 is maybe the longest section, apart from Revelation, but the longest section in our New Testament where we have teaching on the end. A great hope-filled passage about what is to come. And here he says, we are to be at work. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Church, could you say as you wait for the Lord that your life abounds with, overflows with work for Christ? Or does it abound with something else? Does it abound with a waste of time? Does it abound with you fill in the blank? But as we wait, we work hard for the Lord, knowing that none of it is in vain. And lastly, as we eagerly expect his return, we share the gospel. We persuade others. In 2 Corinthians 5, he teaches on these things. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We share that gospel message. We reach out to others. We persuade them, hey, I have this hope in Christ, a hope that is born. Why? Because God is holy and sin has jacked this world up and separated us from Christ. But Jesus came, God's only son, lived a perfect life, the life that we were supposed to live and couldn't and died the death that we were supposed to die and didn't rose again that we might live, live in him. If we would only put our faith in Christ and turn from our sin, we then have hope, a hope for life now and a hope for an eternal life with him. And so we share the gospel. See, as we await, as we come to a passage like this in Revelation 22, it should build us up. It should cause us to live in this way. Now, these things on the screen, it sounds a lot like the normal Christian life, doesn't it? Like these are, many of these are the fruits of the Spirit. They are the, the commandments of the great commission of living life on mission for the Lord. And so his coming then creates this like mounting anticipation in us for living life faithfully now, but then also produces something else. It produces a proper heart of worship. Taking notes, like look how the passage then goes after this little snippet of teaching. Now the angel and Christ and John begin to speak and there's a dialogue that happens for the rest of it. And it teaches us here that as God's greatness is, is coming as we anticipated, it produces in us a proper worship. The angel declares some truth here, saying these words are trustworthy and true. In other words, you can take the words of the Bible to the bank. 
guaranteed. They're, they're, they, you, can, you can trust them. And here we, in this, we really get a sense of the imminence of this, right? Like he sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. This blessing, this happiness that he speaks of in verse 7 that comes from obedience. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. But I love here that John includes verses 8 and 9, don't you? I, I love that he includes this whole like blunder in his worship. Because he could have just like left it out to make himself look better, couldn't he? Like, oh, yeah, I did this, but you know what? I don't want to, like, I got to look good for the folks that are going to read this forever. But he doesn't do that, right? He doesn't do that. He gets super excited. He's there before the Lord. He's seeing all these things, and he has the right intentions, the right reactions to worship the Lord, but he has the wrong object. Here's, here's the wrong object, and here's, here's the, 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 the sneaky part. This is actually the second time that it's happened. Happened also in, in chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. You can uh, turn over there if you want or look at it later, but it's the second time that it happens. But note this, church. God alone is the only one worthy of your worship. You got that? God, uh, God alone is the only one worthy of your worship. If you believe that, look at your neighbor and say, Amen. Amen, right? Like he is the only one. And the, the, the problem is, though, is that far too often we worship improper things, don't we? We, 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 we worship other fellow servants, as the angel calls himself here. And we know already, or at least we should, false idols, bad, right? We don't worship false idols. Those things made of wood, hay, and, and stubble, and all those things. But sometimes we are quick to worship fellow servants, other people, or created things. For us, it maybe doesn't take the form of worshiping angels. But how about your kids? No, we, it's so easy to bow down to our kids' schedule, isn't it? To bow down to their emotional demands, to uh, with right heart chase that ever-elusive activity that's going to gain them a scholarship or gain them prestige or gain them friendships. And we do all this to the neglect of our own spiritual health or maybe even our own marital health. Here's the thing. Love your kids. Love them, love them well, raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, sacrifice for them, put your preferences aside to disciple them, prepare them for the road ahead to live a life that honors the Lord, but do not worship them. Sometimes the fellow servants take the form of our spouse. We bow down to their demands for happiness or fulfillment, or we demand them uh, the, that from our spouse, from, from, from them, and we get frustrated when, when they don't meet our expectations. We get disappointed. And Here's the thing, husbands, love your wives. Christ loved the church. Lay down your life, your preferences for your, for your wife. Wives, love, respect, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, but do not worship Sometimes it takes the form of other spiritual leaders or pastors. We expect perfection. We expect them to do everything and say everything that is right, forgetting that they are merely human in this process together. Put them, on, whether unknowingly or knowingly, on a pedestal, and we put them in the place of God, and then when they fail us, faith like unravels. Here's the thing, seek their counsel, honor them, submit to them, follow them uh, as they follow Christ and teach from the word, but do not worship them. We have to keep our 
fellow servants, we have to keep these things in their proper place. They can't bear, our kids, our spouse, pastors, our spiritual leaders, small group leaders, they can't bear the weight of your worship. Only Christ can. To, to worship, that you will crush your kids if you worship them. Even well-meaning. You, you yourselves, you will be crushed with disappointment by worshiping these fellow servants. We must keep our worship for the one who truly deserves it. Let John's humble example in here warn us in that, encourage us in that, that it is easy to do. Just be quick to worship the Lord, own it, for only God gets our greatest devotion, our greatest sacrifice, our greatest affection, our greatest fervency, our greatest thoughts. He alone is worthy of our worship. Amen? Amen. He is. He is. But see, our worship here is also sewn together and tightly linked to uh, our faithfulness to his commands. See, we worship God as we follow him, as we are faithful. And so as we think of uh, God's coming greatness, it should also produce in us, your third, an urgent obedience. An urgent obedience uh, here in 10 through 15, but really also in verse 7 here. Looking in verse 7 and 14, we're told that we are blessed. Do you see that? Blessed are the ones who keep the words of the prophecy of this book. In verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes. Virtually saying the same thing, that they are pure so that they may have the right to enter the, the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gate. The thing that is only possible in Christ. We seek to follow him. You want to be blessed? You want to be happy? That, anybody want a happy 2022? You want to be blessed this year? Nod your head. I'm sure all of you. You all want, you all want a terrible 2022? Uh, right, none of us do. We want a blessed life. Well, here's the thing. God's way is always the best way, even if it's the hard way. Say that again. God's way is always the best way, even when it's the hard way. Even when you don't want to, even when it's going to uh, cost you whatever it might cost, God's way is always the best way, even when it's the hard way. And as we think of his coming again, it should produce in us this urgent obedience, this desire to be faithful right now. This is why the angel instructs John to work or to write these things, to record it down. Why in verse 10 he says, hey, do not seal up the words of the prophecy. This book He's like, you need to write this down, which he does. We have it here. John, write this down. Why? So that we would worship and obey. He's like, this, this is here. Sinners are going to sin. Worshipers are going to worship. You've been redeemed in Christ. Are you saved? Then you will be compelled to worship. You, you will worship. And God's word teaches us how. Christians know this. We, we come to God's word. We know that here's where we'll find our, our hope and help. Here's where we'll find the way of faithfulness. And so John, write this down so it is recorded for us to know how to worship and obey God. And anticipation then of the end of his coming when he will bring his recompense with him should provoke us then to this urgent obedience that behold there in verse 12 should stop us in our tracks to examine the manner of my life. What does my life look like? He's coming soon. So the descriptions then, like in verse 11, 14, 15, which, which ones describe you? Evildoer, filthy, dog is, you know, someone who's undesirable, sorcerers, 
sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. There are those that have been robed in the righteousness of Christ. You know, no, they're like, we don't do these things to earn our salvation, do we? It is God who gives them because of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit that we might even enter in. See, we come through the, the gates here. We have the right to the tree of life, to live eternally. We may enter through the gates, not because of what we have done, but because we are owned by Christ. We don't come to the Lord, we don't come to the gates, and look at all the great things I've done. We enter in and we say, I'm only here because of Christ. I'm here because of him. And the anticipation as we wait for that day is both a comfort and a warning a warning like when we know the boss is coming back or the boss is going to check our work or the boss, is, all of a sudden we start getting a little more urgent, we start getting a little more excellent, we start working a little bit harder because we know that time is running off the clock. First Peter 4 uh, 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 verse 3 says that the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. And then he lists this whole list of sins. He's like, hey, the, the, the days in your rearview mirror, that was plenty of time for living sinfully. But now... Now, as you anticipate the Lord's return, now let there be a change. Now let there be life. It doesn't matter what happened. You may have had tragedy. You may have had some hard things. You may have had uh, the worst year of your life. You are apart from Christ today. He is beckoning you. Maybe you know Christ and your life has been, you've, you've been, you know, just going your own way. Wondering where the Lord has been in the midst of this pandemic. God is calling you back gently, but urgently to follow him, to follow him. So you can be maturing in your faith so that this type of obedience becomes reflexive so that when you are squeezed, when you're walking through these trials, what you are now doing by the Spirit's help is walking faithfully and not, no longer sinfully. See, this is what, as we await his return, this is what he's doing in us. But it is also, here's there's a final, it's coming greatness. The remaining verses, it produces in us an act of witnessing. An act of witnessing. What's, look at, just kind of scan your eyes over 16 through 21. What's that repeated word that kind of jumps out? It's come. See, the, the, the Bible closes on a note of invitation. After all the judgments, after all the teaching, after all the, uh, the, the description of the things that are yet to come, it closes on a note of invitation of all the final notes we are welcomed and beckoned in. Jesus sent the angels a messenger about himself. He says, hey, I've come. Tell them that he is the promised one. That morning is coming. Verse 16, all those uh, Old Testament imageries is the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. A new day is dawning. In response of us, the, the spirit in the church, the bride, we're saying, come. Come, all who hear it. We hear these that Christ is coming in all his glory and what awaits us in our rightful, worshipful response. The, the emphasis in our unceasing prayers is come, Lord. On the other hand, it is an invitation to all who are with us. Those who are thirsty, we say, come on. Are you looking for satisfaction? Are you looking for something in 
all the wrong places. The invitation is then to come. Come to Christ. Be forgiven. Find grace. Find hope. Find help. Find peace. Find eternal life. So this is our posture as, as believers, as we think about his, his coming again. We end with like one hand, we're like, come on, Lord, come on. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And everyone else with the other hand, we're saying, come to Christ. Come to Christ. Come, Lord, come to Christ. With one hand to the Lord and one hand vertically to the rest. Come, Lord Jesus. See, we can't wait, right? I hope that this is like, even as you think about these things, it's like we are so ready for the Lord's return. While we wait, there's a warning here. Don't add to the message. Don't try to fill in the blanks with newspaper eschatology. Don't, don't try to, uh, 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 to, to add anything else as if that's going to increase, you know, the, or make Jesus speed up to get here. Don't leave anything out from the message. Don't minimize sin or the judgment that is to come, lest judgment await you. See, while we wait, sometimes we do all kinds of like nonsensical things and we add or we take away and you're like, oh, what do we do? And we get anxious. Hey, chill out. Jesus is coming soon. Promise that it's trustworthy and true. It's trustworthy and true. And so while we wait, let us be an active witness. It should motivate us, knowing that the time is short, to be diligent to talk about Christ, inviting all who will listen. Why? Because Christ is coming soon. So whether, whether you believe that the next event is the rapture or the tribulation or the second coming or something else, make no mistake about this. The greatness of God is coming soon. How soon? Super soon. And in the meantime, His grace will be with you seek to follow him as you seek to understand these things his grace is full and free and abundant for all those who would believe come quickly lord jesus amen pray with me and we'll sing together god in heaven we love you we're hopeful uh, for your coming even as we get a glimpse, God, we just tell you thank you. You didn't have to tell us what lies ahead, and yet you give us enough, enough to understand, enough to be eager, enough to worship you, enough to be dependent on you. So, Lord, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for being fearful or for fretting or for, or for adding or taking away, God? We don't want to do these things that we're warned about. In here. Yet we want to be full of hope, God full of grace, full of expectation that you are who you say you are and you're coming soon to wrap up all these things. God, we look forward to understanding it more fully. It happens. Make us diligent to study it even now. We might worship you, God. Just pray, maybe for some this morning, all this is news to them. The gospel, the good news of Christ is new. Spirit, would you do your work of convicting, setting free? Christ, would you be magnified in their eyes? Might see and believe this morning. Christ, thank you that uh, you do save. There's no situation too far gone. Today can be a new day, a day of salvation. Christ, would you be magnified and give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor that is due to you. We seek you now.
pray in Christ's name.